the David Cassidy connections with Louise Poynton. Cherish the legacy. Well, hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of the David Cassidy Connections, your podcast all about David's legacy, his musical inspiration and cultural influence on a generation. Thank you for downloading this podcast wherever you are listening on your preferred streaming platform. Already we have more than 100,000 downloads. So remember to click that subscribe button so you will be the first to know when new episodes are released. I'm your host, Louise Poynton, and on today's show, my guest is lifelong fan, Liza Coppola. Originally from the New York City area, Liza learned to play the guitar when she was 13, inspired by David and the Partridge family. That discovery allowed her to explore her love of music and singing. She gained the skills and confidence to start performing and has been singing her favourite songs from the decades in restaurants and coffee shops for the past 15 years. And her opening number, of course. Come on, get happy. In our conversation, Liza recalls meeting David a couple of times and his mother, Evelyn Ward, in her apartment. But she explains why David has been part of the fabric of her life and the opportunities he gave her through being a fan. Here is my conversation with Liza Coppola. How are you this morning? I'm well, I'm well. It's getting warmer every day, so, so happy about that. Beautiful. I hope you got outside and stayed outside. Well, we did, and I said, look, I've got to go. I've got a very important, <laughs> important meeting. <laughs> yeah. It's so great to meet you. Oh, thank you so much. It's so great to meet you. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Would the 13-year-old Liza ever imagine that while she was sitting in her poster-decorated bedroom listening to David's music, that one day other people would be listening to your music? Right, right. Well, it's actually, uh, again, I'm not an original artist, so I, I do, you know, cover songs, basically. Um, so I, you know, I consider myself more of an entertainer. So I play the music I love. That's what I do. That's my passion. And it seems to go over well. People really are well received. And no, I never considered myself talented enough uh, to, to play for, you know, professionally. Um, I actually only started playing professionally about 15 years ago. Really? And I learned, yeah, I learned to play when I was 13. So it's been this this long in my life goes, you know, that speaks to itself to where I really felt I was good enough and confident enough to go out there. It's amazing how the world turns in mysterious ways and we find ourselves going back to our roots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my guitar playing has always been a part of my life. You know, it was always the didn't always take it out and play it regularly, but it was always something that I enjoyed. And definitely inspired by David, without a doubt. How difficult is it to sing in public? Well, um, it's actually, you, <laughs> it's a blast. It's, it's not difficult at all, really. It's actually a lot of fun. Really? A lot of fun. Yeah. 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 I'm a very energetic uh, performer. So um, I just like to engage the audience and I like to have fun with it. And I'm light and I'm funny and you know, we have a really good time together. You know, music is intimate in both respects from the, um, from the person playing and the person listening. So there's a, there's definitely an intimacy there. And I like to make people feel comfortable 
So they enjoy it even more, you know, and kind of include them. Tell me about the playlist that you have, because you refer to it as fearless. Yes. And being a mix of acoustic rock songs from the last right. of decades. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a troubadour girl. So from way back when, uh, it was all the troubadours. And people, you know, can't believe that I don't know the music of the Rolling Stones and, and you know, you know their catalogs. And I don't know Led Zeppelin or the Grateful Dead. I'm like, listen, it was always about the troubadour it was always you know from the beginning so let's start with the partridge family it was it was fun music it was it was bright it was uplifting i mean of course david cassidy was leading the train um but i enjoyed the music in fact last night i i went on to you know onto my stream and i started listening to some of the songs and singing every word you know every word memorized by heart and it just gave me a lot of joy. Music has probably always been in my blood and the music gave me a lot of joy, the Partridge Family music. And then as I matured from 13 to 14 to 15, it was John Denver, it was uh, Jim Croce, um, all that 70s, uh, you know, it was pop, it was pop rock, but you know, those were deep, deep songs, you know. And it just continued that way right up until today. So today, and I call it fearless because I do have decades of music. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can play Carole King and I can play John Mayer and I can play Elvis and I could play, you know, I have all those songs in my playlist. Wow. So I'm not afraid to play. That's what I, someone actually the name fearless came up because two people, two people who were listening to me came up and told me I was fearless. Two different people what? said, you're fearless. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I never thought of myself as being a fearless musician, but that's, uh, that's why I tag that because yeah. people think I'm fearless. To, to reach where we are today, to, to understand how important music always has been to you, did it all start with David? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes because... I didn't, I didn't personally own it until it was David, you know, my brother, I have two older brothers and we're two years apart. So I'm going to be 64 this year. Um, And uh, so they were listening to the Beatles and they, you know, my brother had the Beatles catalog and, you know, I liked music. So I enjoyed that music and the radio of course was always on. So, but I, those weren't my records. They were his records, you know, my brother's records. He was buying the records. I didn't start buying records until I bought the Partridge Family records. Funny, sometimes I will open my show and I wanted to play this for you. Uh, I was hoping early on because I thought it would be a good segue into the, uh, into the talk. And I often, I, I sometimes, depending on who's in the audience, I kind of try to guess, you know, I, I play my music according to my audience. Um, and I'll play uh, Come On, Get Happy. That's the only one I, I really include. Um, some of it's quite complicated. Uh, David's music, you know, the, the, uh, the songwriters who wrote the music. It, it's not easy music. Yeah. Have you got your guitar there? Are you going to I do. I have it right here, all set to go. You know, we can, I, I'll, I'd love to play you Come On, Get Happy because I actually have something to say about that song. Okay. And then later on, I, I plan to play you another David song. Wonderful. So, 
Okay, so I'm going to move. I set up as best I could before we got together. This song is so exciting to me because when, when this last chord was played, that's when the show started. That's when the screen opened up and there was David. So this is, you know, I remember it so well. So here we go. thought about mixing that with David's vocals? No, I've never thought of that, but that's an excellent idea. Yeah. We should do that. We should do yeah. that. I used to try to sing just like him. So if, <laughs> you know, if there was like that song, you know, I just remember every breath and every nuance he had in the music and I would try to sing just like him. Yeah. From a fan, we just loved his unique voice. But from a singer's perspective, what did he bring to the lyrics of any song? You know, I don't know if I was concentrating so much on the lyrics as a young kid. You know, I think you learn to identify more with that when you get older. I mean, if you think about, you know, all the songs that we sang, like the Beatles songs, for example, you know, choruses and, and lyrics that we, we said over and over again and never really took the time to put together the lyrics. But of course, the love songs. Now, that's a whole other story. Hmm. You know, the love songs that David did. Um, you know, of course, he was singing to me. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was pretty neat. I can't say I held on to the lyrics. You know, it was right. just more about the the joy of the music. Absolutely, yeah. and being able to sing it. You know, you, you wrote for me in in Cherish David Cassidy, a, a legacy of love. That David was the perfect cure for your woes when you were a teenager that yeah. he became the object of your affection. I wondered if you could tell me how important it was to escape into his music and to, into this fantasy world yeah. and why it mattered to have someone, albeit just a fantasy figure, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. share your problems with. Yeah. Well, let me just say that, you know, my childhood wasn't terrible, you know. I did have a very controlling dad. Um, he did drink too much. And uh, because he was very controlling, he had, he had his own ideas about, you know, what I should be doing, shouldn't be doing. Um, he had much to say about my fantasy life, which he didn't like. Um, in fact, this, you know, I, I, I kind of hesitate to share this, but um, 
at one point he was, I guess, a little worried about the fact that I wouldn't come out of my room, you know, that it was all David Cassidy. And I was really in, so involved in this that he, he had my mom and, and I take my pictures down. It was devastating. It was really devastating. I mean, I guess they went back up at some point, but to have to do that broke my heart. So that's the kind of guy he was, you know, um, he thought he was doing it for my own good, but of course. So, um, you know, I didn't realize that I was in turmoil as a young child. You think everything is normal. Um, but obviously I felt very afraid, uh, of life. And, um, I felt particularly very afraid of boys. Um, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't beautiful girl. I had, you know, I, I was, you know, I didn't see myself as, as being anything special. So I was afraid um, to, uh, you know, be myself around boys and whatnot. So David Cassidy became my object of affection. And, you know, I don't think I'm alone in this. I, I, I can kind of tell over the, over the years when I've met other fans that we've all, we've all kind of had our own little story that led us to this infatuation with David Cassidy. And, um, and it's, you know, it's a healthy thing. It wasn't drugs and alcohol. Uh, so it was really harmless. And it yeah. brought me so much joy. And I wasn't alone. I mean, I had one friend and I'll name her because I told my friends I was going to name them all today. Um, <laughs> my friend Jody, she was the only one of my friends that understood the, the, teen, the teeny bopper thing, the, uh, you know, the um, obsession with, uh, with the teen idol. And she and I shared our magazine pictures and we went to the concerts together and things like that. So, um, so it was a unique thing. Um, and when I look back on it, I realized that during that time, this gave me, um, you know, a place to go and it kind of followed me my whole life. I mean, I, I'm a very loyal fan of all my heroes. And that's how it was for, for, for David Cassidy. It was, it was personal. He was part of my life. Yes. It doesn't matter whether or not I was part of his life, but he was part of my life. There were so many fans, as you say, who will resonate with that because you also said, said to me that he helped you become the person you are. That is an extremely powerful statement to make, the impact that one person can have on yeah an individual's life he's in the fabric yeah. of my life yes you know, I, I mean it, i outgrew it as as you should but i always um enjoyed you know going back because seeing david in concert was returning to my childhood you know and we all there was a special time and it, it meant so much to us you know that's why we continued to go to his shows and everything too, because we loved him we loved you know what he did for us yes when was the first time you saw him in concert? Because you did meet him twice, didn't you? Yes. I met his mom. The, the third time was his mom. Yeah. Well, the first show was Madison Square Garden. I believe it was March 12th or March 11th. I March the, the 11th. March the 11th. I mm-hmm. always get the date confused. 1972. Yes. And my mom brought me to the show. And, uh, and I remember, actually, I wrote a little review of the show. And it's still in my scrapbook, the one scrapbook that I saved that I showed Evelyn when I met her. So I wrote a little review. I made a song list of all the songs that he did. I, I talked about my excitement. And I always used to like to write. We'll talk about that, too, about the pen pals. 
Yeah, so that was the first show. And that night, uh, you know, I'll never forget 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock news, 11 o'clock news. David was on the news. They were showing him at the show and the Screaming Girls. And uh, actually, I remember that the Channel 7 News, WABC in New York, ended their, their broadcast that night with David Cassidy saying good night and, you know, ended it that way. You can remember how you felt that day when you saw him at, at Madison. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had goosebumps. Mm. I mean, I wrote that in my, <laughs> my journal, or my little report that I had goosebumps. I mean, it was just so thrilling to actually be in the same room with David. He was untouchable. He was, he was just this dream. And then there he was in person. The experiences that we had seeing him in concert at his height, nothing compared ever since. Nothing. And when you see, I mean, we sound very ancient when, when we say this, but I doubt if the fans today who have their stars and their, their favourites really can imagine how very special it was for us to send away with a postal order or a cheque to the venue in the hope that you were going to get a ticket back you never knew so when that ticket arrived in the post it was like gold dust that's right that's right nobody was going to be allowed near it and um but when you met him you had um two special encounters with him yeah can you tell tell me about those yes yes the first time i met him well uh the partridge family cd was coming out for the first time uh the catalog on cd i i don't know if it was the whole catalog or just the one it was the one cd mm. it was 1990 and the radio station in connecticut now i live in new york but connecticut is but the way the crow flies it's like 10 miles so we get connecticut radio stations where i was living on long island right. david was coming to a venue in connecticut um and they were giving away tickets to the signing of the Partridge Family CD. Right. And I won the tickets. And I can't even tell you. I took my best friend, who's still my best friend, Debbie, with me at the time. And um, we went and you know, there was a table set up with all the CDs. David was wearing this very brightly colored sweater. And there was a line of girls to get up there. I had my Madison Square Garden pennant with me that said, I love David on it, which I still have. I bought it, Madison Square Garden. I saved everything. I mean, mm. I got rid of a lot of stuff, but I saved the really important things. Honestly, I could not believe that he was standing in front of me. I was 30 years old. It was unbelievable. Amazing. And I was so nervous when it was my turn to go up there. <laughs> the only thing I remember saying to him was, I learned how to play the guitar. <laughs> Meaning, you know, because of you, but I don't- you would think I said that. Oh, so I didn't spend a lot of time, you know, chatting with him. He signed my my stuff and then we left. But I just I just that was my my takeaway was that I was finally standing next to him. Can you yeah. imagine what your 13, 14 year old self would have made of that moment? Well, my I think my 13 year old self was right there. So I I I didn't act any differently than I would have. So, you know, um, I do have another story about almost meeting David Cassidy in the height of his day. Okay. Um, uh, My uh, he there was a 
thank God for the daily newspaper. That thing was great. The New York daily news. And there was a, there was a columnist. Her name was Roxanne. I can't remember her last name, but she was the music columnist in the, in the, in the uh, daily news for New York, you know, New York city. And she used to write little clips about David from time to time in there. And I would cut them out by the way, every little clip cut out taped, you know, and she said he was going to be in New York city for a bell records, something and named where he was going to be. Well, that's all it took. So Jody and I got on the train, went into New York, went to the New York Hilton hotel the day that they were supposed to be there. And we stalked out the place. Uh, we wound up meeting Shirley. Sam was there as well. Kim Carnes was there. And anyway, we didn't, we didn't spot David, but we wound up going up a stairwell and we opened the lounge door and David was actually sitting there in a chair, but we didn't recognize him. We didn't recognize him from the back. And when he got up to turn around, a security guard grabbed us by the arm and we had to go. I can see it like it was yesterday. <laughs> and if he hadn't got up and flipped his hair back, I never would have known it was him. Tell us about the second time you met him. I had already met the woman who would lead me to David Cassidy's mom. So, or, in, you know, get me the invitation to go there uh, to, to meet David's mom. So she's the same person who got me backstage on Broadway when David was in Blood Brothers. So it was because of her um, knowing him and knowing her, her, you know, her mom, knowing his mom that we got backstage. And um, he was very, very pleasant, very tired. It was after the show. Um, and, uh, took that picture with him and, um, he said he was very tired from the show. He said he had been losing weight, which was, you know, was hoping he could gain, you know, gain back some of the weight he lost. And, um, it was delightful. It was just delightful. You know, uh, we didn't keep him too long. We took the photos and we went and he put his hand on my big belly. So I guess that must've been, uh, my daughter was born in October, so it couldn't have been to in 1993. So it had to be during a little bit before that time that right. we met him. I was a little older having a baby, so wasn't the same response that I had the first time I met him, you know, in my in my heart and soul. But, uh, you know, it was delightful nonetheless. You mentioned there about a friend of yours who led you to meet his mother, Evelyn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, can you tell us that wonderful yeah. story? I remember that, like, very well as, as well. Um, my husband at the time, I think we were dating, was he wasn't married yet. And uh, we were dating and he uh, he had a friend, uh, this gentleman's name was Bert, and his wife's name was Amanda. Amanda's mom was friendly with David's mom. And we were having lunch. We were having lunch in Queens, New York. And I don't know how the how the subject of David came up, but it did. Maybe I was going to a show. Um, it was around the 90s or maybe I had won the tickets. And the woman casually entered the conversation and said, oh, she said, my mother and David Cassidy's mother are good friends. And I remember, I think I dropped my fork on the table and I was like, what are you saying to me right now? <laughs> Repeat what you just said. So she said, yeah, they were, act they were actresses together and in different shows. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. That's the beginning and the end. She arranged, uh, to meet for me to meet Evelyn in New York. Um, David, she tried to get David to come, but David was busy. I remember her saying he was just busy. 
So my daughter was a teeny baby. She was just born. She was probably only a few months old when um, we, we went to meet Evelyn and spend some time with her at her apartment. It wasn't dinner or anything. It was very casual. Maybe we went later, later part of the evening. She was just a joy. She was so, you know, inviting and so sweet and no pretense at all. She got such a kick out of me and my stories and that scrapbook. I mean, my favorite picture is that one of us all leaning over Evelyn and she's got my scrapbook wide open and everybody's laughing. I think she was reading the review, actually. I think she was reading that silly review I wrote and she was chuckling. And um, and then another special moment that night was I was nursing my, my baby. And I asked if I can go into her bedroom and nurse the baby. And I did. And she followed me in. And um, we chatted. And she told me a little bit about David as a baby. I don't remember the particulars, but I remember her sharing her baby time with David. And, uh, you know, at that point, it was more like um, it was more like a, a, a thing where you, you met a person that you really liked and you were invited over to their house. You know, you would just chat. It was very relaxed and I had no I wasn't nervous it was just you know here I was meeting this wonderful woman for the first time and she was just very sweet to me yeah it was it was great was she very moved to see a scrapbook that you had collected as a teenager I think she just enjoyed it she really I remember her really enjoying it and just you know going through the pages and and funny thing is I actually had pictures of her in there because it was a lot to do with the Madison Square Garden show and the teen magazines at the time had a lot of backstage photos. And there she was, you know, in, in those photos in that scrapbook. And later on, I thought about it. And it's like she was looking at like a photo album of her family. I was looking at, you know, David Cassidy, my obsession and my my teen idol. And she said, this, oh, these are pictures of us. <laughs> yeah, so, right. Yeah. So I, I uh I thought about that and she just she just thought it was she just thought it was fun as yes. coming I probably came full circle with David you know I maybe didn't meet him but I mean I met his mom do you think his mother understood how much girls adored her son yeah I think so I do I mean she had the experience I mean my mom was did the same thing with Frank Sinatra she told me the same stories how she would cut school and go to the Paramount in New York City to see him perform and uh I guess she had the generation before to know about Elvis and, but uh, David feel like he was unique in the sense that it wasn't long. It was long lived, but professionally it wasn't, you know, musically it wasn't not like Elvis Presley left this catalog of music and the Beatles left all this music. So it was a little bit different. I mean, David was truly a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon. Like how did this happen? Like, like you say, <clears throat> one one minute in, in the UK, you didn't know who he was, and the next minute, you know. Yeah. And when I, and w- when we tell people about the experience, about the mania, the the the, they, you know, we have to remind them that it was bigger than Elvis. They don't understand. Oh, he was no, he was bigger for the time. It was actually bigger and crazier. Why do you think perhaps the industry and the the wider public? haven't really understood and accepted how much talent he really had. 
Well, I'm, I'm afraid to say it was of his own making, really, you know, because of his, I think his demise had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, he wasn't able to sustain his, his, you know, his quality. I think that's really what happened. Could have been more creative. And I think after Blood Brothers, you know, um, I think after that, things really went downhill, you know. How did you rate his performance in Blood Brothers? Oh, I thought he was terrific. Well, just to have him and Sean together. Sean was amazing also. They were both very, very good together. I can't recall the show that much, probably because I was so busy sizing him up and, you know, <laughs> can't even tell you the plot right now. But, um, but uh, no, I thought it was very, very good. And it got good reviews. I hate to compare him to Donny Osmond because that's all he's done his whole life was being compared to Donny Osmond. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know... You can compare the careers and, uh, you know, like I said, this is his, his demise was, um, was what really kept him back from, from being his full potential and doing what he could do. But we didn't, we didn't care. Did we, we didn't oh. care. I'll tell you, he sold out that show in, in my local theater. Um, in fact, I, I think the theater, I don't know how many it holds, maybe a thousand people and it was packed. Um, and he was so appreciative of the fact that we had come out that he booked the venue again six months later. That's how much, you know, he, he really enjoyed being with his fans. And we were all so receptive and we had a great time. I remember there was dancing. It was the kind of venue where you know, everyone was having such a great time. Yeah. Um, was it evident to you that he needed to have that interaction with the fans he needed that feedback that an artist thrives on that's all yeah i mean i he was so insecure as we find find out that um you know i think he you know at one point when he was in his early part of his career he kind of maybe rejected it a little bit because he wanted to be a different kind of star he wanted to be a rock star and all that but as the years went on i think he realized that look this is all this is really the the people who love me the most this is really my fan base is really what's going to keep me alive and that was evident till the very end and that was the end that last show that i was talking about that was he was getting very near the end i don't remember which which the years were but um you know his performance was was subpar for what he uh, what he was able to do in the past. We enjoyed it, and he enjoyed us. And, you know, that's really all that matters. You know, when I play a gig, if I had a good time and you had a good time, it was a good night. Yeah. If I'm having a good time and you're not having a good time, it's really bad. But <laughs> you know? whenever you're on stage, your mood will, will be reflected in, into the audience. And it doesn't take much for me anyway, as long as I, there's a few people that are engaged, I'm happy, you know? Yeah. Um, so you can imagine, David, if everyone's engaged and loving that they're there and being with him, it had to be a good experience. And I'm glad that he, uh, he kept going as long as he could. You know, I, I remember going to a show, uh, the Jones Beach Theater on Long Island is a very popular venue, um, and David opened and David opened for the Beach Boys. There wasn't a whole lot of fans there for the for his part, his part of the show. I guess there was a Beach Boy show and people were coming for the Beach Boys. And 
I don't know, but it was such a great show. I remember like all the girls were lined up against the stage and David was, you know, very interactive and it was, it was really neat and he was really well at the time. And that was, that was great. And I wish he could have, you know, wished for him that he could have pursued in that way, but it didn't happen. I, I feel very sad for what happened to him. And, um, the fact that he, uh, you know, couldn't get the help that he, uh, he didn't want the help, mm. you know, that he, I mean, some people get it and some people don't, just the way it is. There are an awful lot of people across the world who wish they could have helped. Yeah, yeah. And probably for you, as many, many others, it was the saddest day because yeah. suddenly your whole life kind of flashes before you. Yeah. Could you listen to his music after his passing? Things had changed so drastically with him and his career that you just knew it was, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't know that his phys- physical being was deteriorating as quickly as it was until I saw him at that show. So, you know, he kind of faded away. Um, and he faded away. And uh, so with that, I guess I kind of faded away a little bit, you know. I was just very sad. It was the end of an era, you know, it was an end of an era of my life. Always grateful for having had that experience when I was younger. And I mean, I don't think I would have changed it. I don't think I would have changed it if I could. Whatever it was, it affected me and impacted me in a positive way. There was nothing bad about it. You know, I got a lot of joy from it. And in your own way, you are helping to keep his musical legacy alive through your music. Yeah, it's true. People ask me, people ask me all the time, when did I start playing? And I said, uh, I said, I was influenced by the David Cassidy and the Partridge family. And they can't believe that, you know, and I do, I talk, I talk about them when people ask me about how I began and when did I get my first guitar and all that. So yeah, he's always there in the forefront. So good to to share these memories with other fans. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I agree. I didn't know um, what this experience would be like, and I'm, I'm. It's very, very pleasant, and very joyful. In fact, I'm going to listen to David the rest of the day. <laughs> In his honor. I want to. I, I want to. I want to listen to his music now. Yes, we spoke earlier on about the pen pal. How did your pen pals evolve? And are you still in touch with any of those friends from the year? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I really believe because of my passion for the things that I love in my life, wonderful things happen to me. As a result of that passion, it seems that I'm, I'm, I'm rewarded again and again. And it's such a beautiful thing because I'm, I'm not joking when I tell you that I really love your music or that, this has meant so much to me that I want to tell other people and other people tell other people. And before you know it, we're in the newspaper. This is what happened with my pen pal. Her name is Lisa. I think I got her information, her address. I think we, I think the magazines used to post pen pals in the back, right? I think that's how it started. Mm -hmm. And I started writing to, I don't think it was her particularly. It could have been somebody else. And then I got hooked up with her. You, You remember how it went. Um, so I started writing to her and we started writing back and forth and, um, you know, talking about not only David and our love for him and, um, but also our lives. And these letters were 
took hours to write. These were 15 page letters. These were serious letters. And, you know, it was such a unique thing at the time. And I wish that young people today could do what we did because it was very, very special. Aside from the fact that it ruined my handwriting, even worse than it was before, because writing those letters, I had a terrible handwriting, it was all scribble for the most part. But my pen pal could, um, could decipher my handwriting. So we kept in touch. We still keep in touch now on Facebook, but we met. We met in the 70s. It was 1974 when she came to New York to meet me for the first time. And she stayed with me. No, no, she stayed in the hotel. I think it was just maybe a weekend. She stayed with her dad um, and she came. But while we were in New York City, we went to see the Broadway show Grease. Um, which I was a big fan of, which I used to, that was another one of my obsessions. I used to go, I saw the show about 19, 20 times. And I met John Travolta and I met Jeff Conaway and I have pictures with them too. They weren't even famous yet. Um, so I took her to the show and we went backstage and we met John Travolta together. And um, he wasn't even in the lead part of Greece. He was an understudy at the time. He was 18 wow. years old. Um, and we wrote, always wrote. We never stopped writing. We stopped writing when the internet came about. <laughs> and we met, we met again uh, in the 2000s, early 2000s. She came to my home, met my, my, my husband and my children. And, um, you know, we see each other on social media now. I can't say we really delve into each other's lives anymore, but we can see yeah. what we're, we're both doing. And um, when she was coming to visit me at my home with my family, I thought it was a really neat story. So I called the local paper and they did a full story on us. Yeah. And I had all the letters. I never threw away the letters. I still have them. And we spread them out all over the coffee table. And David's picture was everywhere and on the envelopes. And they said, and they did a little feature on us. And it was actually that feature won the, won the award for the year for that paper. Really? How about that? Yes. How wonderful. And, you know, it's funny that the David people, like the people I've met, there's another another woman. So I was at a conference, a uh, health conference in New York, I guess maybe the early 2000s. And there was a woman there with a Partridge Family T-shirt on. So we started chatting and we're friends today. We're friends today. And she loves music. And she's like, you know, and we keep in touch. I told her I was coming here. Her name is Lou. And uh, I told her that about this, and she's all excited for me. And she sang with me a few times, and we sang Partridge Family songs. I mean, there's a connection there. And I don't know if you remember the friendship books. Yes. So the envelopes will be packed with these friendship books of people with, you know, writing their names and addresses that you can contact. You know, it's like hundreds of people at a time. At one time, I would come home from school, and my bed would be. I'd have a pile of letters, like, you know, maybe 10 letters from different people, you know, and then that's when I finally said, I can't write to all these people. I finally just had the one pen pal. But So g going back to when you were a teenager, when did you first pick up a guitar and start to play? I'd say, well, I remember the songs I was playing and, and people may remember Andy and David Williams. Yes. Do you remember Andy and David Williams? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, they had some beautiful harmonies and uh, a friend of mine from school, this was in uh, middle, uh, middle school, so still a young teenager, um, she was taking guitar lessons and my dad had bought me a guitar. I asked him to buy me a guitar 
And she showed me my first few chords and how to play. And then we wound up covering a, a, one of those David and Andy songs, um, which is a beautiful song. And we do the harmonies and stuff. So uh, yeah, I was, um, I was, you know, like 13, probably 14 when I first picked up the guitar, maybe, maybe a little bit old, maybe 15. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't like, you know, today you had to struggle to learn. I mean, you had to, you could go to the music store and buy books to learn how to, how to play, you know, chord charts and whatnot. And then if you wanted to um, learn how to play the music, you had to figure it out. You had to listen to the song and move the record needle a hundred times back and listen and see if you can identify the chord. And it was, it wasn't like it is today. You know, I, I would go to the music store and buy, you know, the music that I saw, like I had sheet music of David's cherish and um, uh, could it be forever? I have those, those uh, that sheet music that I bought to try to learn the songs. But like I said, back then, those it was too difficult for me. The music was too difficult. Do you write your own songs as well? I've stumbled at it and chipped away at it for a time. Took some songwriting, uh, you know, classes and groups and stuff, but I'm not natural at it. And the truth is, I really would much prefer to play songs that I love. Sure. To be able to sing and play the songs I love is such a joy. I think that's a cue for you to play another one for us then. I think we should. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm not gonna tell you what it is. Okay. <laughs> just yet, because you'll certainly know by the first couple of chords. I think it was a fan favorite actually, and it's not a part of family song, it's a David song. I have the words just in case I forget. <laughs> I am leaving 
I couldn't play that song when I was younger. It was too hard <laughs> for someone starting out because of the rhythm pattern. It's a little tricky. Right. That's beautiful. What a wonderful choice. One of, you know, I think that was the first song he ever wrote on, yes, certainly on the acoustic guitar. Yeah. Remember, Ricky was his dog, but, you know, changed it into a love song. Beautiful. Yeah. You presented yeah. that so well. The whole oh, thank you so much. Oh, Thank your you harmonies so on there were lovely. <laughs> lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, like I said, every nuance. I remember every, and I, I, I played it like faded the record because I remember how the record faded. Yes, you know, yes. it was perfect. I could hear all the extra harmonies, and in a way, yes. I could hear his voice coming through as well. Yes, and you're like, oh yeah. So you yeah, must. That's why I didn't want to tell you because it's it's. It's interesting when we hear it, like how everything comes flooding back, like every song doesn't mm. matter. But yeah, like you just uh, it just brings you back, you know, music. The, a songwriter um, who's very famous, uh, his name is Hugh Presswood. He happens to be a local um, here on Long Island. He wrote a song called The Song Remembers When. And the song remembers when, you know, when you hear it, you just you're right back there. It's and you're beautiful. right, you know, you said at the start that you were listening to the music in the last few days and it's strange you put a song on that you haven't heard in decades and instantly you know all the words. And you yeah. think, how did I remember that when I can walk into the kitchen and wonder why on earth I'm there? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I know. And we're not alone. What is your favourite song of his? I would say Ricky's tune. Without a doubt. Yeah, because if you think about it, it was such a raw song. And that guitar was everything. Yeah. It wasn't produced, overly produced. And so that's what that's that was the calling for me. Like, I wanted to do that. I wanted to play like that. So definitely that's my favorite. So that and Summer Days. I also liked Echo Valley 26809 as a Parsons family song because David spoke in it. <laughs> but, uh, yes. you know what i played recently uh i have an old record player that i picked up at some garage sale i don't know i had the copy of the uh the record that came in the album the pink record the plastic record yeah and i was able to play it where shirley talks and then david talks and do you remember the record yes. well i still have that one 
when I hear that song, I, I'm right in front of the TV set. I am right in front of the TV set. I'm already, it's, it's 8.30 on a Friday night, and I'm, I'm just right there. And when that, that music stopped, I could still see the, the screen opening up and, and the show opening up. It's just, it was so exciting. I don't know if you, if you did, but I, I would sit there with my cassette recorder and record yes. the show. I would play his voice over and over again. I, um, so, yes, I would tape those shows. I would tape them every Friday night. I would tape the spots he did on Marcus Welby and whatever it was that he was <laughs> I taped those spots and play it over and over again. Yeah, just to hear him say something out of, outside of being Keith Partridge. Yeah. He, just, he once sang, and I think I love you, it, that this is a love there is no cure for. And I think he's absolutely right from the mm. fans' point of view. Yes, uh, it was it was a time, and it was very special and meant a lot to me. Um, and like I said, definitely the fabric of my life it carried me through the joy of music. Um, you know, the guitar. Just uh, you know, it's, when you're young, you're so impressionable at that age. And and I, you know would tell anyone if, 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 if they want to learn to play guitar, start when you're very young, you know, uh, start when you're 13, start when you have all the time in the world to sit in your bedroom and, and practice because it takes practice and it takes time. So when you're passionate about something at that age, it really sticks with you and it carries you, it carries with you for your whole life, whether it be music, science, rocks, butterflies, I don't know. You know, it's something that you bring along through the decades. And um, and he was a big part of that. You know, the last show I saw him at was actually in my neighborhood, which was insane because we live out uh, on the eastern end of Long Island. It's um, it's pretty much a rural area. But there's one venue, a small venue um, that uh, gets some big names. And David was coming to downtown. And uh, still, you know, I, I, I couldn't believe that he was coming right in the neighborhood for one thing and then to see the show. And it, it, it never changed. You know, it didn't matter that his performance wasn't up to par and all that. It didn't matter. We were all together. I mean, I remember seeing a teacher from the elementary school there. And I remember seeing another woman who writes for the local paper. And she actually interviewed me for the local paper and talked about it. It just never changed when you were in the presence of David fans and David Cassidy. You were just right back to being that that kid, you know. And it and like you say, it meant something. You know, people can talk about it. You can tell a person that doesn't understand and they're like, oh you were just I said, no, it was it was real. It was a real thing at a real time. It wasn't just something that, you know, Okay, I looked at the magazine. This guy's cute, and I threw the thing. No, I invested myself in David Cassidy. Yes, it was a big investment in my life. You know, it's funny. I would take them out from time to time. You know, maybe every couple of years or whatever, I would go back in the box, you know, and look at everything. And uh, you know, some of my like the cover of Life magazine that was signed, and I honestly. I guess I must have taken it to that uh, first meeting with David. I think I did. And he signed the cover. Um, but, you know, over the years, you forget. Like, I, this was signed. I don't remember how it got signed or whatever, you know. Um, but it does. It just brings a lot of joy because it, uh, it was times where, you know, 
especially with things that got signed, it was times when you actually were in his presence and you got it signed. And Can you take me back to that moment when you were called to the stage? I probably was a good 10 or 12, 15 rows back, and he spotted the flag in the audience. So he, he you know, basically called out the, the lady with the flag, you know, with the girl with the flag. So that was me. So I, I, you know, of course I was beside myself. I couldn't believe it. I actually couldn't believe that I was up there. And I had another friend, uh, the, the girl Lou that I had told you about, she was in the audience. So she was screaming like she couldn't believe it either. So um, yeah, it was, it was just an incredible moment, really incredible moment. But, and, and it's funny because you know how security can be, right? So and this was in the 80s. This was, uh, no, it was in the 90s. And it was just, the venue wasn't very big. You know, I started to go to smaller and smaller venues. It wasn't like a huge venue. And it was a kind of very classy venue uh, where the, the stage went around. Mm. It was a mobile stage. And, you know, so, you know, you were in good proximity no matter where you sat. And I had this flag, you know, my, my banner. And the security guard kept telling me to put it down because I was blocking people's view. And um, I would kept, I kept every now and then I would get up and I'd go like that and then put it down and I'd go like that. And then he saw it, you know, he finally saw it. And that's when he called me up to the stage. So I'm so glad I didn't listen to the security guard. Like who listens to security guards anyway, Yeah. when you're a David oh. fan. And that's what got me on the stage. So, and, and I, of course, didn't, uh, some strange woman took the pictures and we got, I got her phone number and she, she sent them to me. Wow. So that, which was wonderful because I kept saying, who took the pictures, you know, after the show. So yeah. it was, it was that, yeah, it was wonderful. We're older, we're more mature. We try to, you know, uh, okay. be respectable. And you see that I, my stance, I'm like, I couldn't even believe, but I have to tell you what we what we talked about. I had brought up the flag and I knew the date, of course. And he, of course, knew the date. And I said, I got this at Madison Square Garden. Um, I said, March 11th, 1972. And he said, um, I know, I, re he goes, I, I remember the date. I said, he talked about it. But then I said to him, I said, would you like to have it? And he said, it means more to me. He said, you keep it. It means more to me that you kept it all these years. That's what he said. Yeah, I <laughs> so I kept it. <laughs> Through more adult eyes, why do you think he had that influence and impact on us? I think, and, I, and we talked about this earlier too, I think it was because there was no way to get to him. It was such, there was no way that you could imagine um, my California pen pal, Lisa, uh, her parents knew someone and got her on the set and she met David that way. But how did you get to him? How did people get to him? I mean, you know, in the book, they said, you know, people in California would camp out outside his his Laurel Canyon home and hide in his air conditioner unit, you know, things like that. But for us here, you know, in New York and all the other states and, and for you as well, there was no way to get to him. So when you finally were next to him, it was surreal. It was, it was like an absolute, like almost not even, like not even real. Like someone just waved the magic wand over and puff, there he was. Like somebody just got him out of thin air <laughs> and it, it was standing there. So it was, 
that whole thing of all those memories of yearning and and oh if I could only meet him if I could only meet him and then you grow up and you know I was just married at the time no I wasn't married I was engaged at that time and um and there he is poof walking talking David not on the screen not on the stage like just the person standing next to you and you know I wouldn't be surprised that's why we couldn't speak we were too busy observing the moment you know like you know his hair his face it's you know his whole being and then he's talking you're like did you say something what are you talking to me i happen to have a partridge family music book that we found uh, my my daughter was young at the time maybe 10 and we were at a flea market and she found two partridge family sheet music books I couldn't believe it. So I have those. So I actually have the music. Well, everybody does like Come On, Get Happy. I do play that every now and then. I'm so glad that, you know, I was a part of it. And it shaped us in whatever way it shaped us. You know, I know for me, and I I mentioned this to you too, um, that loyalty is a quality that we have in our personalities. Mm -hmm. And it's a very beautiful thing to be that loyal. You know, so um, I'm that way with my, you know, my friendships. I'm, I'm, I'm the loyal one. You know, I'm the one that shows up. I'm the one that makes the calls. I'm the one that sets up the get-togethers. You know, I, I, and um, I think it all is part and parcel of that whole experience that we had. And it was the beginning of our true selves kind of coming out. You know, expressing that particular side of us where we had a, an affection for something, and you know. We kept it close. As you said to me before, he made us the people we now have become. He made us always look for the good in others. I always will think of him as just being very vulnerable. Yeah, he was. I I am enamored most by his early, early uh, interviews when I see what a shy young man he really was. and. A, a fellow and I were talking. He, oh, you'll love this, Louise. So he was a police officer in upstate New York, and his partner arrested David, DWI, in, it was a long time ago. It, it probably was 30 years ago. And um, we went back and forth. And um, because Tom, his name is Tom, Tom answered, he says, my girl's never forgave me for not hooking them up with David Cassidy when I could have, because David kept in touch with these guys. Yes. He kept in touch with these guys, I guess, because he had a house in it's called Rensselaer way up in the mountains, probably near the track because he had the horses and he kept in touch with them. So they were friends and Tom never, you know, made the connection for his daughters. And they, he says, they're still mad at me. I said, of course they're mad at you. You know, so we were joking. So that being said, he, we went on to the, dig- you know, the digression. And, and he said uh, something about, oh, he was so famous. It's a shame. I said, he, I said, he didn't do well with that fame. Not everybody gets it. It's a, you, can't, you can't give it to somebody. They have, to, they have to find it on their own. And I just think his path, that's why his younger days are so beautiful because he really, you could see what a beautiful soul he was when he was younger. You could see, you know, and then 
you know, and then as things went on, it just kind of took these twists that led him to doom. You know, a lot of things happened and it's, uh, you know, I like to remember him from, you know, those early days. I, I think that was when he was his best self before everything really got out of control. It also takes us back to a happy time exactly. in the majority of cases when absolutely we young and life yeah. was all about finishing school at quarter past three, rushing home, putting on your sound magazine album or crossword mm -hmm. puzzle and mm -hmm. just escaping into exactly a world of pure happiness yeah that's exactly right that's exactly right it did it made me very happy i mean a lot of children that age they like to go into their rooms what they do in there and how they escape that's everybody's everybody's different and that's what we did and when david died you know i felt i felt so old it was like how do you live in a world without david cassidy it's like he's part of part of me and I, it was truly the end of an era. It's like the door closed and you just now, you know, you're catapulted into this older reality. And it's like, it's a little scary. It's like, wow, time has really gone by. Um, you know, when you, these people start, you know, passing and leaving this world, you think, wow, I'm, my, my, I'm coming up next. <laughs> you know, know, my future is, is, is coming up there. But, um, but, you know, I would never have traded it or done anything differently. It was, uh, it was a beautiful time. And I'm very grateful for my gift of being able to play music today. I mean, if I hadn't started at 13, I don't think I would have gotten where I am today, you know, to be able to play as well as I can. And I, I don't have the best singing voice, but I can sing. And, um, and all the confidence it's given me over the years, you know, to be able to pick up an instrument and play for people, it's really a gift. Mm -hmm. And I can't say I would have done it if it wasn't for him, for the Partridge family, because no one in my house is, plays music. It was just my tenacity and, you know, just wanting to, to do it because I was inspired. Yeah, that in itself is just a huge legacy for any one person to, to leave. They've actually helped one person choose their path in life. It's been yeah. a life well spent. You know, I'm so busy uh, trying to keep my repertoire uh, contemporary, you know, kind of up to date. Uh, there's a lot of young people that go. And the more they like the music, the better it is for me, you know, with the owners and money-wise and stuff. So, yes. um, but uh, every now and then, like if I play a restaurant, the crowd will shift throughout the, the evening. There'll be, you know, certain people. And then later, sometimes in the later part of the evening, you get an older crowd. And that's when I'll change everything up and start playing some 70s and go yeah. back. So, yeah, I should throw one in there. As I told you, some of that music was complicated. It just was a little complicated. I'm, I'm going to look at it again. Well, it's so wonderful to share it with you, Louise, really is. It's, well, uh, it's like, you know, it's just like entering uh, a book, you know, entering a chapter that I just never read. It's, it's lovely. I'm enjoying it so much. I can't wait to tell my, my David friend, Lou. Before we finish, where can people find you on social media? Um, I have a Facebook page just for my music. So it's actually the, uh, the tag is Fearless Acoustic Rock. <laughs> <laughs> so Facebook, go on Facebook and Google Fear, Fearless Acoustic Rock and you'll see me there. Well, um, well, thank you so much for the memories. What a beautiful time.
I'm so happy to have shared this time with you. Well, thank you for sharing your memories and your, your personal thoughts on, on David yeah. and everything else in your life. I really yeah. appreciate that. And all the best on the book. I hope it uh, continues to be a great success. All right, Louise, thank you so much for taking the time for the second round. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you. You do the same. Okay. All right, bye for now. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.